0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: It sounds like we're going to make that happen. We hope to make it happen based on equity, but also uh, because of uh, the unemployment or in the closing down of, of of these ethanol plants.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and other Ag News Daily podcast here on this Thursday afternoon. Delaney Howell joined, as always, by my co-hosts Mike Pearson and Ashton Carr. Guys, I've got to give a quick pre-warning here before we get into today's podcast. We are getting quite a bit of rain here in central Iowa, and if you hear any rain or thunder in the background, it is all my fault.
2: Well, Eleni, I think the billion-dollar question is, are those rainstorms extending into west central Iowa, kind of the epicenter of the most recent drought monitor?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't, I didn't even know, honestly, it was supposed to rain today, so I haven't really been paying too close attention, but it does looking, uh, does look like at, on the radar right now that pretty much from Highway 20 all the way down to almost the Missouri border, we are seeing a really big storm cell move across Iowa. It also looks like western Iowa, parts of it might get a little bit of rain, so probably not quite enough to reprieve them from their drought.
2: Yeah, it's probably getting a little too late for that corn crop, but I know a lot of cattle producers over there would love to see their pastures green back up.
0: Well, that's definitely a possibility. We definitely needed some rain in this area, too.
2: For sure. I tell you what, there are interesting things happening in the world of agriculture and in the world of politics. We'll combine those two for today's interview. We'll be talking with Iowa's senior Senator Charles Grassley a little bit later, so stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. But before we jump into that, one of the things that we talk about with Senator Grassley is the crisis facing the biofuels industry, in particular, ethanol. Now, Yesterday, EIA released their ethanol production statistics, and we talked last week about how the production rate had jumped up substantially from the week prior. Uh, production went from 908 uh, million, excuse me, thousand barrels on uh, the 17th of July to 958 on the 24th. Unfortunately, this week it is back. Down 931,000 barrels were produced, which is tied with the production rate for the week of uh, July 10th. So we have come off last week's surge. I'm not sure if this is just a uh, just a slowdown as we gear up as plants start maintenance get, heading into the harvest season, or if it's a deeper seated uh, slowdown from coronavirus cases. So we'll continue to keep track of what's going on there with ethanol. But uh, stay tuned, particularly if you're in that industry, because we talked with Senator Grassley about what to expect in federal aid for biofuels later on in the podcast.
0: Well, speaking of federal aid, we of course know that USDA, or the government, I should say, has been pretty slow about paying out these coronavirus or CFAP payments to producers. And there's been a lot of speculation that perhaps we wouldn't use that entire fund. That was. Authorized to be used for this in particular, and it appears that if this money does not get all used up this go-around, that it will go to other funds or or could go to some sort of relief payment in the future. You know, if we have another trade dispute, if we have any sort of um, coronavirus impact further, it does appear that. Congress is pushing USDA really hard to make sure that they're able to cover COVID costs or trade implications or anything like that in the future. Uh, I also saw today on the Newswires that House Agriculture Committee Chairman Colin Peterson says he's urging USDA to use those unspent funds to increase payments to cattle producers in particular, who said that they've been shorted by this current formula. And so he apparently made a comment during an online debate Wednesday with candidates for the seventh and eighth congressional districts in Minnesota as he is running for reelection, and said that cattle producers are absolutely being negatively impacted and need to have a little more paid out to them. So we will continue to watch that story. Basically, it sounds like they got to do something with this money in case it doesn't get allocated this first go around. And they're trying to find ways to make that happen.
2: All right. All right. So basically, it's, it's use it or lose it on the funds. If USA well, doesn't burn yeah. it up, then it, the Congress will have to reappropriate it in the future.
0: Right. That's kind of what it sound, is sounding like.
2: OK. All right. Well, actually, what headlines are you keeping an eye on today?
0: I have a bit of USDA news
3: myself concerning their risk management agency. The RMA is authorizing approved insurance providers to extend deadlines for premium and administrative fees, defer interest accrual, and allow other flexibilities to help farmers and ranchers because of COVID-19. Senator Purdue says USDA recognizes that the industry has been hurt by the pandemic and is continuing to extend flexibility flexibility to help ease the burden on farmers and ranchers. The USDA says it will authorize approved insurance providers to give policyholders more time to pay those premium and administrative fees and to waive accrual of interest to the earlier of 60 days after their scheduled payment due date or the terminal termination date on policies with premium billing dates between August 1st and September 30th.
2: Okay, a lot of numbers in there. So if you're if you're worried about your uh, your crop insurance. There are some changes, folks. Uh, dig into their websites and, and you know get the details for your operation. Good, noticing Ashton.
0: Yeah. And speaking of some numbers, I've got a few other numbers here I want to throw at you because we've been talking a lot about export sales specifically to China. And while they have been purchasing a lot more U.S. goods, it doesn't appear that they are on track to meet their phase one trade agreement purchase uh, fulfillments so far in Let's see, the U.S. exported about $6.6 billion worth of farm goods to China in the first half of this year, which is the second lowest amount since 2009. What's more is they're supposed to have on the docket about $36.5 billion. So there's still a $30, $30 billion deficit that they are allegedly going to purchase Here, the second half of, well, really, there's only four months left of 2020.
2: (coughs) Yeah, they are going to have to start pulling the trigger. And Delaney, this is a very simple question that I don't know the answer to. And I I feel kind of embarrassed. I'm not sure if you know the answer either. When they're tabulating the results on sales to China, Mm
0: I think I know does what you're going to ask. Yeah.
2: Does the product need to be shipped?
0: I believe it does. I think okay. it's physical exports. So they've been doing a lot of export sale commitments for the 2021 marketing year. So yeah. I think those are not included in this $6.6 6 billion dollars worth. But, you know, the other thing that's confusing is our fiscal year doesn't run the same as a marketing year.
2: True. True. Yeah, that definitely makes it, makes it a little more complicated and... Are they, is it, yeah, No. I don't know, good points.
0: So I'm sure there's some, I'm sure because it's the government, they can't do things easily. They have to do some stupid math formula to figure out the average of this marketing year, lay it on top of the fiscal year. I'm just speculating on this, but I'm gonna guess it's not a simple process like we think it might be.
2: No, I bet you're right. And I'm sure mid month after that video conference uh, happens, about the trade deal, we'll probably get some updated information. So we'll just Mm -hmm. stay tuned to see what comes out of there. For sure. Well, speaking of updated information, I've been keeping track of what's happening with the Dakota Access Pipeline. This is the pipeline that runs from the Bakken Shale Field in North Dakota all the way down to refineries. I think DAPL actually terminates in Illinois, and then some of the crude moves on farther south to refineries. Regardless, that was ordered to be stopped and drained by a federal court about a month ago. Yesterday, an appeals court reversed it. Um, They uh, reversed part of it, I should say. As of right now, the Dakota Access Pipeline does not have to shut off, and it does not have to be emptied. However they, the appeals court, upheld that uh, the Army Corps of Engineers will have to reissue an environmental permit to justify the pipeline's placement under uh, the Oahe Lake in South Dakota. So this matters, again, to a lot of our listeners up there in the Northern Plains. The good news is we're not going to see railways crowded with crude oil anytime soon, but that risk is still there. If the uh, Corps of Engineers, it did issue that, uh, that environmental certificate improperly, and they're not able to do it again, then the pipeline could be shut down. But this at least buys some time. Hopefully, the way the court system moves so slowly, particularly in COVID times, this will allow our friends up in the Northern Plains to get their crops out and uh, not have to be competing with railroad space with crude oil. So we'll keep an eye on it. But for right now, hopefully, that won't be hammering basis as your crops are coming out of the field.
0: Very good point. Well, I tell you what, that I also was kind of watching that story a little bit on the day too, so I am all out of news. Ashton, what about you? As am
3: I. Mike, what about you? Are you ready to get into the markets? Not quite yet.
2: I've got uh, one piece of information, a news story coming out of Europe, France in particular. In agriculture, I know a lot of folks have been keeping track of the way the international regulatory bodies have been treating neonicotinoids. Uh, This is a pesticide that uh, some have alleged was partially responsible for colony collapse disorder in beehives. Well, we saw governments around the world react to this. They pulled neonics, uh, pulled their, uh, their labels, basically banned them, and France was one of the places to do that. However, The French sugar beet producers right now are being so bombarded with insects, there's an expectation that France could lose up to 50% of its sugar beet crop. And so now French politicians are looking back at that ban on neonics, and they are considering Rolling it back, and uh, current discussions right now, they're going to lift that ban for three years. The sugar beet producers say sugar beet should never have been affected anyway because they don't flower, so they never attract bees over to, you know, get the neonic pesticide on them. So it shouldn't have ever been an issue. But um, it's interesting the way these pesticide discussions go on and morph around the world. So neonic's back in the spotlight, and it uh, looks like the French are going to start using them again on and the sugar beets.
0: all right well with that mike why don't you take us into the news i mean you, the market sorry
2: you betcha the news of prices well let's see where things wrapped up for today we've got mixed trade today in the grains corn eked out a small gain beans were light, slightly lower wheat really took it on the chin in September was up a quarter penny to finish at three eleven and a quarter. December new crop up half a cent, finished at three twenty three and three quarters. Looking at soybean September contract down one and a half cents at eight seventy four and three quarters. November new crop down three quarters of a cent, closed at eight seventy eight even. In wheat, Chicago uh, September contract down nine and a half cents on the day at five oh one and a quarter. December down nine and a quarter to close the day at five oh eight and a quarter. Looking over at livestock, we've got the October live cattle contract down 47.5 cents at 106.97.50. December down 70 cents. Closed the day at 110.95. Feeder cattle, similar story. The September contract down 60 cents at 145.87.50. October down 52.5 to close the day at 146.77 a half. Looking over at lean hogs, mixed trade actually in the hog markets. October down 10 cents, closed at 49.20. December up. Two and a half cents, but still a move to the upside, closed the day at 51.50. And quick look over at the dairy market in Class Three milk. We've got that August contract continuing to surge, up 26 cents on the day, closed at 19.81. The September, down nine, finished the day at 16.91. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with our friend, Iowa Senior Senator Charles Grassland. Well, we are really excited today on the Ag News Daily Podcast. We are sitting down virtually, so to speak, with Senator Chuck Grassley, Iowa's senior senator. Senator, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today.
1: One of the great thrills of being a United States senator and as a family farmer is representing agriculture uh, throughout uh, everything the Senate does because it isn't just on agricultural issues where you got to get the voice of the family farmer in, but let's say like taxes with inheritance tax and, and, uh, trade issues and, uh, heavens. I don't know how many different issues, but agriculture deserves a voice at, uh, at the table of a lot of things, uh, other than just, uh, the, uh, the farm bell. And, uh, then you also know that, uh, I started out on an 80-acre farm when my dad died in 1960, and then I uh, uh, bought my uh, mother's farm after uh, she died, bought 120 in 1964, and then I farmed 200 acres when I came to Congress. And then uh, I've accumulated some more farmland since then. My son Robin operates our family farm, and we have a fourth generation in it. Uh, which would be Patrick Grassley, uh, and he's the son of Robin, and uh, Patrick is uh, Speaker of the Iowa House of Representatives at the young age of 36.
2: You bet. Cultivating corn and cultivating laws. Senator, one of the most recent things that's up for discussion in D.C., of course, continues to be coronavirus. Um, Agriculture has certainly not been spared by the challenges that this thing has brought on, in this new relief package, is there anything that uh, that folks out there in rural America need to have our ears tuned for as this package gets unveiled?
1: Yes. Uh, one would be $20 billion, at least that's what we have in the Senate bill, and I believe Pelosi has some money for agriculture in her bill, the exact amount, I'm not sure I can remember and uh it goes to the secretary of agriculture with some flexibility on spending it but uh a lot of the things that are itemized that it maybe doesn't tie him down to to uh making sure that every one of these are financed but it covers almost everything that the first cares act did with the money that started going out around june the 1st uh, uh the only additional thing that has happened to agriculture since uh, March, when we wrote the first bill is, because in March we were writing the bill for agriculture because of the downturn in price be- because of the virus, we didn't know anything about packing plants shutting down. And so we're going to add, uh, we hope to get money for the economic loss of people that had to euthanize hogs and and uh particularly in Iowa poultry for production of eggs and i suppose maybe some even on turkeys but i i don't know that for certain
2: so now with the twenty billion, and let's just talk about the the senate's bill because of course that's the one you're involved with on the senate side that 20 billion that's just basically 20 billion in dollars for the usda to distribute as they see fit is that kind of how it's written
1: yeah, but don't forget the first one was written kind of that same way, and you ended up with the nineteen, the nineteen and a half billion dollars being allocated. Uh Actually, we appropriated twenty four and a half billion, and I'm not sure I can tell you why the other five billion wasn't uh, distributed. But that is in the CCC, and it could be still distributed. I don't know that this twenty billion is going through the CCC. Because maybe the CCC has some restrictions, but I would say the money uh, that, that the language that goes with it is pretty much comparable uh, to uh, being used for the same purposes as the uh, as the money that went out in June uh, as a result of the March legislation, uh, with with the additional exception of what Ernst and I are fighting for we would like to have the word ethanol included in that. I've talked to the Secretary of Agriculture about it. I've talked to uh uh McConnell about it. I've talked to uh, the Vice President. Uh, no, not not the Vice President. I talked to Mark Meadows about it. Well, maybe it was the Vice President. Uh, forgive me for not remembering exactly which one. So I've tried to go to a lot of areas, and Stern Ernst has covered the same base. In fact, I think she even went further and talk to the president of the United States about it, and uh, we've, uh, we we uh, we look at it not just helping agriculture, but it's a matter of equity with petroleum. Now, see, we were seeking that same equity in March because we thought they were going to uh, somebody, probably uh, senators from oil states, were going to do something for for petroleum because of the dramatic drop in prices on petroleum and the unemployment in petroleum so we were going to seek equity getting equal amount of money for uh, uh for ethanol then that didn't happen for oil so we didn't get it but in the meantime by administrative action they decided to put uh, uh x number of barrels of oil in the in the uh, uh strategic petroleum reserve and let's say Whatever those, uh, whatever those uh, barrels are added up to about $40 a barrel today's price, that would come out about $3 billion. And that's what we want to do for agriculture, I mean, for ethanol. But let me give you one caveat because it sounds like we're going to make that happen. We hope to make it happen based on equity, but also uh, because of, uh, The unemployment or in the closing down of 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 these ethanol plants, but uh, we uh, there is some reluctance to actually state in the bill money for ethanol because the secretary of agriculture is fearful that it points out let let's let's say fructose people have problems or all the different uh, downstream. Benefits you get from processing uh soybeans uh, and 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 then you got all these different segments downstream coming in for the same help we're trying to give ethanol, so i don't that's that's their reluctance you know I don't have to agree with that because I want to help ethanol and anything to do to help ethanol I'm going to try to do it, and Ernst is going to do the same thing
2: well sure, and you know I think that's one of the things that I've heard a lot of folks grumbling about in rural America, is that the challenges that biofuels and ethanol in particular have really faced under this administration, when President Trump was running for election and campaigning in Iowa, and every time he's been back, he's been gung-ho for ethanol, and yet repeatedly we've seen this EPA turn against the industry, grant an absurd amount of small refinery waivers. Senator Grassley, in your experience there in D.C., what's going on behind the scenes? Why does there appear to be this uh, this dislike of the ethanol industry on behalf of the
1: administration? Well, uh, let's uh, change the word administration to EPA. Okay. Because, because in every – you can hardly pick up the phone to talk to the press – to the president uh, for about something unrelated to uh, to, uh, uh, to even agriculture. And he always brings up, how are the farmers doing? Or how's ethanol doing? You know, et cetera. So I don't have any doubts in my mind about the president's commitment to ethanol. And maybe I shouldn't have anything uh, uh, except for waivers have anything to do with with uh EPA but EPA through their regulations and through their rhetoric and through their uh seem to be considering uh petroleum uh issues on the same level as agro as uh, ethanol issues they just ruin it for the president of the United States so <clears throat> the last time that Ernst and I talked to Wheeler which was about these gap waivers first of all she she says to him why do you even consider these gap waivers well if he's right he says the law requires us to to uh, consider them he didn't say that he was going to grant them and i hope he's smart enough not to grant them because there's no common sense to to uh, refineries in 2020 asking for consideration because they forgot to do it in 2013 or 14 or 15 so anyway uh, we uh, but this i'm getting to this part of telling you uh, that i always remind wheeler and i'll bet i do it once every three months because i don't talk to him every day about this stuff but uh, i always say you know you can the president says he's for 15 billion gallons because that's what the law requires you say uh you're going to get the 15 billion gallons even if we give waivers cuz we're going to add them back in and then then i say uh you write these regulations that raise all the questions about your sincerity so let's uh, let's just assume i say to him let's just assume you're very sincere as i know the president's very sincere about 15 billion gallons but i said you know the problem you have uh, to uh, to not do harm to the president is that we aren't going to know about the 15 billion gallons until March of 2021, because that's the end of the period that you calculate this stuff. So uh, so uh, the president's got these, uh, you're, you're giving the president these public re- relations problems in Washington because of the next single, I mean, let me start over again. You got uh, the problems, the president's got a problem with public relations, because he says he's for ethanol, and you do crazy things to detract from it, uh, so you just got to you just got to understand it that they don't trust you, and uh, and so you got to be more cautious in what you're doing if you're not going to send a signal that the president's not for ethanol. That's what that's kind of a spiel I give him three or four times a year.
2: Well, good, Senator. I mean, it, it sounds like. That's a spiel he needs to be hearing, and I know that both you and, and Senator Ernst, as, long, as well as a, another couple of senators from the Corn Belt, were working to uh, to slow down an Undersecretary's nomination in response, or I guess, to encourage uh, Wheeler to let us know how he was going to handle these waivers before the election. Uh, what happened with that?
1: Well, it it ended up it ended up with Ernst and I voting against it. Oh, you aren't talking, which one are you talking about?
2: Oh, gosh, the the recent one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just, uh, I want to say it was a few weeks back. There was a... Uh, oh, oh uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, er- and, and, yeah. Yeah, er, uh, you're talking about Ernst holding up a nomination. Yes, yeah, she's doing yeah. that.
2: Okay, that's still in progress. But, but we still don't have an answer from the EPA as to how they're going to handle these waivers. Uh,
1: well... I'm going to defer to Ernst on that, but that's her uh, hard-nosed approach to making sure that we don't get uh, snickered by Wheeler again.
2: All right. Well, we'll keep our ears to the ground then on that front. On another sort of a a lighter front, Senator, of course, coronavirus is not just impacting agriculture, it's impacting D.C. Now you guys are are back from recess, uh, Are or be heading to recess here shortly. What's it like working in the Capitol in D.C. with all of these different restrictions going on? Has it made legislating more of a challenge?
1: Well, uh,
2: face-to-face,
1: or less face to face with staff because a lot of them are working remotely. And I think it's only been within the last couple weeks that we've had almost all of our staff show up at the office every day or at least four out of five days or something like that. We try to, we try to do social distancing even in the office. So that's, uh, although that's not working out so bad. Because, uh, I know my staff is devoted to their work and I haven't seen any reduction in their productivity or, uh, they're, they're just staying on top of stuff. Then you, you do the disinfecting and washing your hands and social distancing and wearing masks. That's all inconvenient, but it's, uh, it's not impossible. And we haven't had any constituents come to the capitol building or to our office since mid-march uh we have been doing all of our uh meetings that we would normally have with people that come to washington dc once or twice a year to talk face to face we're doing that all by phone or zoom there is an advantage to that to some extent From this standpoint, that if a delegation comes out here, seldom is it more than a handful of people, unless it might be the telephone people or the uh, credit union people, they might bring out 50 people. Farm Bureau might bring out 50 people. But when you're communicating by Zoom or by phone, sometimes you, like yesterday, communicating with probably over a thousand people with the AARP is just an example. So it gives me an opportunity to communicate more. It's really affected my work in Iowa more than it's affected here, because normally in my 99-county visits, which I'm doing for the uh, 40th year in a row, to visit every one of the 99 counties with a Q&A with constituents in those counties, not me setting the uh, agenda or my making a speech and running, but real interaction with my constituents. Uh, we, we would normally have probably a third of those, maybe even half of them be open town meetings. You can't have open town meetings now with these restrictions on the number of people that can come to a meeting. So I've been only going where I've been invited. And, uh, so it kind of curbs my face to face communication with constituents, but, uh, people, uh, sometimes, uh, uh, 14, 1500 a, a day we get in, sometimes only six or 700. We're probably 14 or 15,000 behind, but during April and May, we were 20 to 25,000 behind on a pretty regular basis. We did get caught up till about 10,000. Normally, a normal year without the pandemic, we'd probably have a carryover of two or 3,000. So uh, I think we're pretty productive and uh, making the process of representative government work. But I wish we didn't have this virus, and I wish I could do things normally. And uh, we just got to accept the abnormal and hope it's not uh, a new normal.
2: Absolutely. I think there's a lot of folks listening who would agree with you, Senator Grassley. We don't want to take up too much more of your time, but before we let you go, is there anything you'd like to say to the folks out there in farm country?
1: Yes, uh I've had I've had a lot of meetings with farmers on the 29 counties that I went to during the July 4th break. I've been to 40 not 50 counties so far this year, 49 to go. And uh and, and uh, we've had a lot of discussion about that and uh and I want to also encourage your listeners to uh, look at my effort to educate city people about farming, uh, starting in the spring and ending with harvest. I have uh, two hashtag soybean watch, hashtag corn watch, and you ought to go on Instagram and follow the development of the Grassley corn and beans.
2: Fantastic, folks. Be sure to check that out. Senator Charles Grassley, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today.
1: God bless you. Thank you.
4: Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. With the corn getting tall, many rural road intersections become dangerous due to a lack of cross-traffic visibility. Front airbags have been standard equipment for over 30 years, but keep in mind that they deploy via an explosive charge. Many passengers like to ride with their feet on the dashboard. This is extremely dangerous. If the airbag deploys during an accident, there is an excellent probability that it will at the best break your leg at the ankle or knee, but a complete detachment of the lower leg from the thigh is likely. Many people have ended up in a wheelchair from a device that was designed to save them, but only if they keep their feet on the floorboard as intended. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits, and reliability. Please visit FarmMachineryDigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles where steel and soil meet.
3: Well, it was certainly very informative to be able to sit in on that interview, and I learned a lot about what's up and coming in the Senate, and I'm excited to see what comes through.
0: Question: was this your first interview with a senator? I believe so. I think we might have done one,
3: another one, or maybe it was just someone from like American Farm Bureau, but it was really exciting. I felt like a, like a big wig. So <laughs> it's like the, the highlight of my career so far.
0: Well, it's because we need to um, get like President Trump or somebody on here.
3: <laughs> I'll work on that one. I'll try my hardest, but uh, that might take a while. Well, give it a
2: shot. That's what interning is all about. But folks, if you want to get caught up on other people we have interviewed, you can hit up any of the past episodes of the Ag News Daily podcast by visiting our website at agnewsdaily.com. And if you've got people we should be interviewing, and in fact, earlier this week, we put a call out. We want to talk to some folks in sheep production. If you are a sheep rancher or a cattle rancher with sheep, we want to talk to you, we want to hear about your operation, we want to hear what marketing looks like. Reach out to us on social media find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Just hit up at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, shall we let the people go?
0: Let's let them go.